podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Frustration led to minutes of joy for Manchester United as they overcame a stubborn Omonia Nicosia side at Old Trafford to stay in contention for top spot in their group in the Europa League. Two games against Omonia in the last week have been decided by late goals from United, leaving the Cypriot side unlucky to be pointless from the two matches. As always, no matter who the opponent, it seems, Manchester United live and die by fine margins. Joining me today is Kane Smith of United District. He's back to dissect the Europa League win, Marcus Rashford's continued good form, Jadon Sancho's impact off the bench against Omonia, and bigger picture, how are Manchester United starting to adapt to Eric Ten Hag's demands, both on and off the ball? You heard in the intro to the episode, some of the noise from Old Trafford directly after the game from Harry and everyone else in the Stretford End celebrating Scott McTominay's late winner, before Kane and I get into it, let's first hear from Harry after the game for his thoughts on the win over Omonia Nicosia before Kane and I dive into some more of the details. Hello, Jack and Kane. Uh, just back from Old Trafford after what I, I'm very prepared to leave the ground at about 10 o'clock this evening, thinking that was a, a very frustrating night, but uh, a good performance and one to take a lot of heart from and to take some positives from, varying from De Gea's comfort on the ball again to the amount of chances that United created. And obviously there would have been negatives had United not scored and only got a point. But in the end, we leave with a, a sense of satisfaction of a job just about done. But 34 shots, it was it was relentless at times and a, a brilliant goalkeeping performance from the Omnia keeper. Some incredible blocks from their their defence and they <laughs> it was one of those where at, at the time you're absolutely delighted that United have finally managed to get over the line and, and it, it it got very tense inside the ground uh, after about about 75 minutes he started thinking because it, up to 75 minutes you were thinking United have dominated here. Uh, we're playing well, the goal's going to come and then you get into that last 15 and you start thinking, oh, uh, is this is this really going to happen or is this going to be one of those days? Um, but yeah, Omni did, did very well. Their fans were, were brilliant and they brought a massive following in. It, it's great, in, in uh, I've said this before, but in these Europa group stages where the results do matter but they're less... It, it's not knockout football, it matters a lot less and, and it affects your mood a lot less and it affects United a lot less and, and the future of the club a lot less. You do want to see a team visiting Old Trafford and, and just loving their visit to there. And even though they lost 1-0, I I hope and I expect that Omni's fans would have had an amazing time on, on Thursday night because they brought a huge amount over. They were, on Wednesday night in Manchester, they were to be seen all over the city. And the same was true on Thursday when they gathered in um, near the Arndale Shopping Centre at Sinclair's Oyster Bar, where most of the United's European opposition kind of gather on a match day and, and made a lot of noise from about 3 or 4 p.m. in the afternoon, even earlier maybe. Um, but I, as a performance, yeah, as I say, even had we 
drawn that nil nil. We got the goal eventually, and that that was a fantastic moment. But even had we drawn nil nil, we did the right things there. The finishing was off. Uh, Casemiro obviously hit the bar, but actually that wasn't his best chance of the game. There was one which he skied over at the other end at East End, which he he could have done better with. Ronaldo missed a couple. Rashford missed a, a very good one on one chance when he shot with his left foot, his weaker foot, but he he absolutely has to score there. There were plenty like that. There were a few headers that weren't like weren't amazing chances, but uh, a, a great header of the ball would have put away. And a good header of the ball should be getting on target and United headed them wide. There were so many, so many chances like that. Uh, it, it was a game we thoroughly deserved to win, but the Omni did very well in and, and the amount of blocks, the amount of... I, I haven't got the stats yet, but um, uh, I've been told it was 34 shots. I don't know quite how many how many corners or, or whatever, but it, it, it felt, yeah. <laughs> it felt relentless and, and thank God we finally got over the line and and now we're going to Sheriff first of all in terms of Europa League we're going to Sheriff now thinking right we win that and then we have a decider in, in San Sebastian and we should be beating Sheriff at home Um, and more in terms of the, the short term we've got Newcastle on Sunday and it, it, it I'm excited for Sunday now after watching that and and the the, the key thing here is not only did United create chances and deserve to win the game, but often when you're when you're held by a team like this, whether you lose or you draw, um, it, the most frustrating thing is is a, a lack of, and we always call it effort, but what it really because it, it, it's not always effort. The players might be trying, but it's, it's intensity to the game. And the reason that I was ready to come out after the game and say actually that was okay, even though we drew, was because there was an intensity to United's play all throughout the game. The speed that throw-ins were taking and and free kicks and corners, but also just the way we passed the ball. And and that's that's the pleasing thing. And that's what you, you want in a performance, whether United win or lose, is you want to see that intensity throughout, no matter who the opposition is. And we saw that. So, yeah, <laughs> thank God we got the goal at the end. Um, I'll leave you to it, Jack and Kane. I hope you have a, 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 an interesting episode. There, there should be some interesting stuff to talk about in terms of Rashford and Ronaldo and Casemiro and, and Shaw's influence off the bench and, and De Gea's style of play and plenty more. So listen to speak to you in, in a few days. Have a great weekend, Rob. Kane, it's great to have you back on the podcast. It's been a little while. And fair to say, United are in a much better place than they were last time you were on the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on as well. I was going to say, thankfully, uh, I'm on after a win just this time. <laughs> but there's a lot more positives to see. I think we are starting to see the kind of small bits of Ten Hag's overall system coming into the team. But there, there's a lot more to come, I, I'm sure we all know. But yeah, there's some positive signs, even though the scoreline might have not suggested it tonight, but the underlying stats certainly did. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I mentioned this in the last episode with Harry that it felt last week felt like a really gritty, like probably a, a week we wouldn't really remember in the grand scheme of things, but really important week for United coming off the Derby defeat, narrowly beating Omanilla, then you know beating Everton in a game that we probably should have won more comfortably than we did, but also could easily have gone against us at the end. You know, with the De Gea save, a couple of good balls in from corners that we just managed to clear. And this feels like another one that could have really stunted our momentum and in the end getting the late goal. It feels like games you probably won't remember that much come the end of the season. But this, again, it's just Man United living by fine margins all the time that me and Harry have said for the last couple of couple of years. 
And it feels like because we've won these games, these last three games, we probably now have almost afforded ourselves the luxury of being able to focus on some of these bigger picture things that we'll get into that I think are speaking to United improving slightly, it will be a slow improvement. But if any one of those games had gone a slightly different way, I think we'd be sitting here having a very different conversation. Oh, definitely. And especially for the Everton game, I feel um, after Manchester City, I think no matter what the performance was, we cut, we just needed to grind out that result. And over the last, like, uh, well, before Ten Hag came in, over the last six months under Rania Canoli, it kind of was those those grinding results weren't coming through, were they? So yeah. it's nice to see that perhaps even if it's not a, a classic performance, an unbelievable performance, we're starting to grind in those results and that can be only a good thing for the future, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on to tonight, I thought I, I was ready to kind of come on this podcast and it be a bit of a moan at 90 minutes through the game at nil-nil. But <laughs> uh, to be fair, I've got to say, even without McTominay's goal, obviously the tone of this conversation would definitely have changed if we hadn't have got that winner. But I was tweeting this during the game and I stick by it now. I would have found it very hard to criticise United's performance too much, even with a nil-nil draw, because especially in the first half, I thought we were very good tonight. On the ball, I thought, again, opposition has to be taken into account. They were obviously affording us a lot of space, a lot of time on the ball. But this is the kind of game where United have have really failed to even create chances in the past, let alone actually, you know, go on and win the game comfortably. We didn't manage to convert many of the chances, obviously, but I thought this was a real step forward for United in terms of performance against a deep block. Definitely. And I mean, on the surface, you look at a a 1-0 Europa League win against a team that not many people knew a few weeks ago. And you'd think it would be that game where United are kind of passing it across. They're in a deep block and we can't really get in. But it wasn't that game. It was uh, obviously anyone who watched it. We were creating the chances. We were getting the shots away. Perhaps maybe some of the shots weren't great and some others were saved well by the other go- by the goalkeeper. But there was positives, and I think Ten Hag spoke about that after the game as well, that it is hard to create so many chances against a team that, while they do give you possession in in like advanced areas, and we had a lot of territory, but they do sit in that deep block, and sometimes it is hard to create chances there. But we, we were doing it quite well. Like you said, in the first half, there was a lot of bright spots where we were, especially Rashford from the left-hand side, was was quite dangerous in the first half, I thought. It shouldn't really change how we feel about the performance. McTominay, you know, that one shot at the end going in, but it does so much just because of the tone of how we will talk about that game. But, you know, I think this performance tonight had a lot of positives for me, in particular, just the way that we were able to shift the ball quickly. It was really, really noticeable straight away how up-tempo United were trying to be right from the first whistle. You know, there were quick throw-ins, quick corners. Rashford obviously had that chance that was saved by Uzohu after about a minute and a half. This is the kind of game where United have tended to come out flat and over the last couple of years with, with sort of no intensity, no tempo to the game. Everything's very slow, lethargic. And, and that has been caused probably both mentally by the approach to the game, but also tactically, I just don't think United are have ever really been the kind of team that is set up well to move the ball quickly because our movement, frankly, isn't good enough off the ball. And tonight, that was the biggest difference that I could notice especially in the first half compared to how we would play against deep blocks over the last couple of years, that our movement, our fluidity and possession was so much better than it than I'm used to watching. Now, get, look, moving on to some of the players that I think stood out from tonight. Kane, the last time you were on the podcast was right after the Brentford game. and Obviously, that was a very different 
kind of tone of episode, a very different place in Man United's season. But we did a little segment in there about how do we get the best out of Jadon Sancho. And I think we're going to end up talking about pretty much the same thing now, but from a slightly different point of view. Since then, obviously, Sancho's had a bit of an up and down season, a couple of really good goals, some good performances. Then had a, had a bad performance against Omonia away last season, gets hooked at, sorry, last week, gets hooked at halftime, ends up not playing against Everton. But he came on today, replaced Anthony, and I thought he made a real difference for United in the second half. Yeah, I completely agree, and it was nice to see. It was nice to see him on that left side alongside Shaw. I think it was a good decision to bring them both on at the same time. I think. I mean, watching Malasia in the first half, he's he he's basically in a, he's playing inverted. Whereas when Shaw came on, it was he was um, providing the overlap quite a bit. He was linking up with Sancho. We saw them do a, a couple of bits together, um, linking up in the final third, almost creating a a goal for Bruno Fernandes, I think, where he just tipped it over the bar. I think when he's playing on that side with Malasia, it's, it, there's less link-up play for him to have with that fullback, and he—that's one of the main—that's one of the main things which he likes. And I think that's probably something that we did mention um, after Brentford um, trying to get the best out of him. And I think Ten Hag said similar after the game, where there's a lot, of, there's a lot of players um, who need. Comp- he was basically asked. Um, whether Sancho needs combinations to excel. And Ten Hag's answer basically said a lot of players need combinations to excel. Not every not every player can um, take on an entire team and how defensively strong a lot of teams, especially in the Premier League, are now. When you take on a player, there's not often too much space like they like there might have used to be where now you take on that one player and um, there's two more coming after you, especially when you're a dangerous winger for a top top team. Sancho definitely has been poor of late and that I think that's a confidence issue and we're seeing it with Marcus Rashford on the on the other other side of things. So over, I, I do just think it's mainly a confidence issue with Sancho at the moment and to get the best out of him and maybe build that up we do we need those combinations. It was really interesting, I think, to watch tonight. Before I get on to Sancho, I just wanted to pick up on something that you said about Malassia and Shaw, the difference in their positions. It's been really surprising to me, actually, the way that... You're right, Malassia, when he's played, has been has been coming inside and almost stepping into midfield much, much more than Shaw has when he played, which, A, is just puzzling because you would think that regardless of who plays in that position, you'd expect them to their position and their movements to be at least roughly similar. But also, you'd, given the strengths and, and the qualities of Shaw and Malassia, you know, I'd expect that Shaw would be much more suited to playing that inside role, that inverted fullback role, more than Malassia would be. But I think you're definitely right that Sancho is, he is a winger that thrives much more on combination play than most. There was a really good article actually on the same subject in The Athletic this week from Carl Anker and Mark Carey, basically just looking at the same thing. How do we get the best out of Jaden Sancho? And some really illuminating stats in there that Sancho's his dribbles per ninety are way down from when he was in the Bundesliga. So so are his his touches per ninety are also way down. It it does seem like he's he's lacking. Well, a obviously he's having to adapt to the Premier League where there is a lot less space in in the Bundesliga. But he also played with some great overlapping fullbacks during his time at Dortmund. Whether it's Hakimi, Thomas Mounier, Rafael Guerrero, all of whom were really really willing to overlap, support him in in, in their play and. You know, Shaw, Shaw is a good overlapping fullback, but Sancho has played quite a lot of his time at United on the right, where Dallow does get forward, but maybe isn't quite as good going forward as Shaw is. 
Sancho, when he has played on the left, has played with Shaw at times, but a lot of last year was with, was with Tellez. A lot of this season has been with Malassia. It does feel like Sancho just needs to, to develop better combinations, not only with the left back, but also with the midfield as well. You know, again, the likes of Ericsson and Fernandes should be helping Sancho a lot. And it just, for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. What, what did you notice with, with Sancho tonight against Omania? Why did he make a difference for United? And why, why, how do you think he could kind of take that into the next few games if he, if he gets the opportunity? Well, I think tonight it was it was almost like he, he probably got a, a little bit of a kick up the backside, noticing that he got he did get brought off at halftime last week and didn't didn't appear um, on the on the weekend. Um, I I do think that it was quite a wide criticism of him in the past few games to which he played, where he was playing a bit too safe, maybe not trying to take that like take that player on, and even though. He is. He is definitely, and we all know that he's. Um, he, he will excel in like combinations with different players. Sometimes, you to get that confidence up, you you might need to try and take on that player. And I think he done that, and that was helped by Luke Shaw. And then I think it was early on. It was only a few minutes after they both came on where they linked up and created a chance. I think that almost just gave him that confidence boost at the start of the um, game. And then we saw it for for the chance for the goal. You saw him in a quite similar position, maybe a bit more um, advanced inside the box, but almost quite similar to the chance which he passed back to Malassia last week. And we ended up conceding him, conceding from where he, he squared up the defender. They kind of showed him back inside and it looked like he might have made the pass backwards, but then he, he turned back on the outside and got that extra half a yard and was able... And that's where he, um, that's where he excels when... He's in the box and he can pick those like almost just passes into players inside the box. I'm not, I, I haven't seen a replay to see how it exactly got to Scott McTominay. I'm not sure if there was a like big deflection on, on it or anything, but that is kind of those areas where you expect out of probably any of United's wingers that Sancho will make that pass and find the spare man in the box. And then Scott McTominay. Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely better at operating in tight spaces than the likes of Rashford or Anthony. Definitely. You know, they... They they are definitely much better at beating a man one on one, but this wasn't a game for that. There were so few opportunities where Anthony or Rashford or Sancho, for that matter, got the ball and could face up their their fullback one on one because Omonia were just doubling up all the time trying to force them back. So in that situation, you need a player like Sancho who is better in those kind of tight spaces to manoeuvre the ball. And the way that you get around when you've got two or three men on you is that you make combination play with your teammates. That's how you kind of beat when a team is trying to just basically just camp you with so many players around you he is a player probably more than most that I think will will excel as the team excels he's not the kind of player I think that will do extremely well in a team that is struggling because he isn't that direct runner that can make sort of something happen out of nothing he is a bit more reliant on his teammates then on the other side of the other standout performer in attack for United tonight was Marcus Marcus Rashford continuing his good form that we've obviously seen recently Again, a player that we've said for a number of years seems to just be so dependent on confidence. His confidence is clearly high at the moment. I mean, the first half, he was so clearly a level above any other United player on the pitch. It felt, the excitement I've got watching Rashford at the moment, it reminds me of how I felt watching him in Solskjaer's first few months when we went on that really long unbeaten run. I remember Rashford scoring the free kick against, was it Huddersfield or Cardiff in Solskjaer's first game? 
that that whole run where Rashford was just on fire, we had we had a load load of injuries, and it sort of culminated in that penalty against PSG to send us through in the Champions League, where Rashford felt like the main man at United. And it feels like we're returning a little bit to that at the moment. It does look sharp, and <laughs> it is almost like, like I mentioned a minute ago. It's it is almost just great example of what almost confidence and knowing that you've got the manager's belief because Ten Hag's definitely uh, backed him, especially when he was almost he, he hadn't got into that good period of form, and he was still there was still question marks over whether he could get that burst back because that was a, that was a big problem throughout last se- the tail end of last season where obviously um, I think Ranić basically dropped him for a langer and it just seemed like he'd lost lost something like what like what you said what he had a, a few years ago under Solskjaer and it just shows that I think confidence and obviously being injury free he had a he had a summer of preparation a full pre-season and just it's just little things like his. I think his touches are looking better. His turns, he's just he, he is looking a lot sharper. And especially off of that, I know we've played him through the middle in quite a few Premier League games, partially part, partly because of Anthony Martial's injuries. But I do think that he um, he definitely looks very sharp off of that left side. I don't remember Rashford being as incisive as he has been in these last few games for for quite a while. You're right, he does look sharper. Again, it, it looks like his confidence is up. But there is something about the way that he's playing. He's kind of regained that directness that I thought was such a breath of fresh air when he first burst onto the scene. Like I remember I think the goal that I always go back to for how direct Rashford was when he first came into this United team was the goal he scored against Man City. It probably would have been 2016, maybe 17, when he gets, he gets the ball one touch, kind of stops it dead and then back, pushes it through Demichelis' legs. And, and goes in on goal and scores underneath probably would have been Joe Hart at that point. I, I think sometimes that that ability to be really direct and, and run at his man is something that Rashford kind of misses in his game sometimes. He clearly has that at the moment. I wish I knew what, what was unlocking this confidence in him other than just having game time. I, I think it presents a little bit of a dilemma for United because I think quite clearly we're seeing that Rashford is 100% at his best playing from the left. And yet, obviously with Martial's injuries that don't seem to be going away. There is going to be a bit bit of a dilemma here because I think United are clearly worse with Cristiano Ronaldo as our main striker. I don't think that is a, a controversial opinion at, at this point. But so then the, the option becomes, do you try and prioritise getting the best out of Rashford, which probably means playing him on the left? And then that probably also means you play Ronaldo up front or do you try to play Rashford up front and Sancho on the left, thinking that the combination of those two even though Rashford probably wouldn't be playing in his favoured position, would be more beneficial for the team than having Rashford in his best position and Ronaldo at striker. Yeah, it's de- it, like you said, it's definitely a dilemma. A, a dilemma that could be fixed if Anthony Martial can stay fit because <laughs> because we I think we all want that. But yeah, it, it, as it's looking... I did not, I've got to say, I, things I did not expect coming into the season was to feel like our chances of, of finishing in the top four hinge quite significantly on whether Martial can stay fit or not. If you'd have told me that was going to be the reality back in May, I would have absolutely not believed you. But that's, that, is quite, that is how I feel at the moment. No, yeah, it's, it's strange. It's, uh, things can change so quickly in football, I guess. But no, yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely a strange one. I do, I do think... I, I mean, today, I think he, um, he kind of went a bit quiet um, in the second half, especially. But... Re- I think Ronaldo's starting to have 
he's starting to look a bit more a bit more sharp than he was um, in earlier games, especially his I think his yeah. first Europa League, uh, his first two Europa League games, where I think despite scoring the penalty against Sheriff, I think it was he he, he just looked really poor on the ball and. There's there's glimpses where he's looking a bit sharper, but I, like you said, I think it's it's quite clear that we look we look a lot better as a as an overall team with even Rash, Rashford playing through that through the middle, and he might have to continue sacrificing that. I don't think there's a perfect answer really with that decision because obviously you might get a little less from Rashford, but then also you have got his. I, it was quite interesting to see him actually move up front alongside Ronaldo. Um, almost it, it was almost like a number ten. Or, Throughout throughout the um, second half of the second half, <laughs> it, w- it was very clear recognition from Ten Hag that Rashford is not suited to playing on the right, and neither is Sancho because it was almost as if when some- once Sancho replaced Anthony, Sancho went to the left hand side, Rashford got moved in field, and you're right, he sort of played as a number ten or like second striker just off Ronaldo, but then it was almost like Fernandez went out to the right hand side. He yeah. obviously didn't stay particularly wide, but it was. It, it was very interesting to me to see that Ten Hag has clearly recognised the limitations that those players have playing on the right. And, and I, I didn't, didn't dislike that decision at all. We know that they, they struggle playing out on the right, so, so why put them out there? I didn't think Rashford was great as a number 10, to be fair, after he got moved in there. But I think it, it made sense to, to try something different rather than trying something that we know Rashford and Sancho both struggle with. Yeah, definitely. I think he's... Been- I think Ten Hag has mentioned that before, and uh, obviously bringing Anthony in, it's, I think he he kind of made sure to say that players like Rashford and Sancho, they they're left sided and sent like they're good in the left sided areas, they're good in essential areas, maybe not so much on the right, and that's why Anthony was a really good signing despite being um, a lot of money. But exactly, just a, just a, a profile we need. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let, let's move on then to. From covering the Omanir game to looking a little bit more big picture, I mentioned earlier, Kane, that the last time you were on the podcast was after the Brentford match, the debacle at Brentford. At that point, United's season looked almost dead and buried already. It's been revived to some degree since then. We're now 12 games into this season, about a fifth of the way through. How do you think United are adapting to Ten Hag? And how do you think Ten Hag is adapting to United? Harry and I have talked quite a lot about how Ten Hag has had to be pragmatic. He's had to kind of adapt and just get some results in the short term. I think the last week or so, the last three games have have shown glimpses maybe of what Ten Hag is trying to turn this United team into. What, what are your thoughts kind of overall on, on United's start to the season, how Ten Hag has done as, as United manager and you know where, where United might be looking to go from here, let's say up until the start of the World Cup? Uh, yeah, obviously there was that difficult period um, in the opening two games. And I think Ten Hag adapted very well. He, he, he almost conceded a little bit that we couldn't play the a great style of football out of the back straight away. And we dropped our line quite a bit in those um, next few games. I think we saw that United were playing third lowest line out of all Premier League teams for the next four, four or five games, I think. So I think he realised that we might have not been able to play with that intensely high line in Premier League games where we're not. there's still that chance of turnovers. We're not polished on the ball yet. And it was just a bit more safer. And then we saw the likes of Lissandro Martinez and Varane and Dallo and Malassia during that um, period really excel in defence. And it was, it's a, it's almost, it, it was a bit easier for them defending when they had that bit, bit of space to work with and 
there was a lot of um, almost like last ditch kind of stuff because we were defending a little deeper, but it was working and it was gaining confidence throughout the team. I do think he's just trying to get those little those little bits of his philosophy more into our game, and we are definitely seeing it, especially in the I'd say especially in the last two games, we're we're seeing a lot of the, those little triangles to play out of a press. Anthony hold the whip on the right while Dallow comes inside. That's been a feature. We mentioned obviously it's a bit different on the left hand side depending on who's playing at left back. But against Everton, obviously, I think Luke Shaw was holding the whip and that allowed Rashford to play in that in that half space where he's probably the most dangerous. Um, yeah, there's definitely interesting stuff um, coming, and it's it's I mean the highlight so far for me, even though I think he had a um, surprisingly poor ball playing game tonight is Lissandra Martinez at the back. He's he's been he's been pivotal to our in possession game and he's he's just very good out of possession as well when he's the tenacity which he's he brings. Um he's been a very bright spark. I think it's very noticeable how quiet that it's all gone on that front and the media stories about Martinez. I think they were all ready to to crown him as as a flop and as too small and everything like that in the Premier League. And it's all gone very, very quiet on that front from the media because Martinez has just simply been very good ever since the first two games. And to be honest, even in those first two games, anyone watching the Man United play against Brighton and Brentford, where we were appallingly bad, but anyone watching those two games and picking out Martinez of everyone as the major problem was just searching for a title of their, their next headline. Because he was not the problem in those games, and he's been very good ever since. Yeah, he's a he's a breath of fresh air at the back. I think being be, being a left footer, being that left footed player, we saw it for um, Marcus Rashford's was it Marcus Rashford's goal? Oh, I think it was Anthony Martial's actually. Um, was it last week? I think where you just saw him just take out yep. um, like three or four players with that pass between the lines, and then there was a bit of link up between those two, and Martial finished. But we, you see that from him five or six times a game usually it was a bit it was a bit off tonight but yeah he's he's been a great back at the back he he really has and i i think that is part of what i've i can see as the biggest change in possession from this united team to what we've seen in the past few years i was looking before we were recording to, for some stats and line breaking passes surprisingly hard to find i wasn't able to find any because i think for me that is what i'm noticing more and more in this united team that the willingness to both spot and play passes through the lines is so, so much better than what I've seen from United for a, a very long time. And that obviously comes down to players. I think Martinez and Eriksen, the biggest two in that regard, obviously Martinez, like you mentioned, great ball progressor from the back. And Eriksen, I mean, there's been so many occasions, a lot of them leading to goals this season when Eriksen has taken so many players out of the game with one pass. The Anthony goal against Arsenal springs to mind immediately for that. And I think for me, that is that that is the biggest difference. There was another good article in The Athletic this week kind of analysing United's performance against Everton by Dan Sheldon. And it it was just saying that the sort of small steps that for, for United moving towards what we think Ten Hag will eventually want from this United team. And all of, all of the, the moments that were highlighted, I thought were very good in that they showed pl- players on the ball with very, very... You know, a lot of time on the ball, not not under too much pressure, with very easy options to their side or backwards. But they didn't take those options. Instead, it was passes through the lines, progressing the ball. And I think that is the biggest difference that we're seeing in, in this United team. I was looking in, in the absence of finding line-breaking passes stats. 
I was looking just at progressive passes from United. And so far this season, but in games against non-top six teams, last season United averaged 37 progressive passes per game, at least according to the way Football Reference does their progressive passes stats. And this year we have averaged 42. That is a, a really sizable difference in, in terms of progressive passes per 90 minutes that United are already showing there. If I can find the line-breaking passes stat, I'll tweet it, mention it next week on the podcast, because I think it would show a pretty significant departure from what United have, have been displaying in previous seasons. It's it, it's definitely to do with the way we're playing, but also if you look, it, it is the per, the personnel as well, because if you look at um, last season, obviously Alex Tellers was playing a lot of games. He's not really the greatest progressive passer. Obviously, Aaron Wambasaka until Ranjit came in, was in the right-back spot. And you had Harry Maguire, who can be a great progressive passer when he's on, on form, but throughout the entire of last season, he was void of confidence almost. And he kind of, when that happens, he kind of plays safe. Um, not as many progressive passes. And then, obviously, Varane next to him, or maybe Lindelof. Lindelof's a bit better at it. But Varane is probably the only person in maybe our strongest back four right now who isn't a great progressive passer. I look at Diego Dallo. He's he's maybe the past couple of games, he's looking, um, he's maybe a bit tired. Obviously, he hasn't, Wampasaka's injured, so he's having to almost play every game. So To be fair, yeah. in, with Dallo, I, I feel like with Dallo, it's like some players, it's like the ability to even spot those progressive passes is, is a problem or, or to even try and attempt them. I think that's the case with, with Varane where he just keeps his game very, very simple. With Dallo, oh. it, it's less that he doesn't spot the pass, it's just sometimes the execution. I actually think he's... The, the, the number of times you see Dallo play passes where he sort of opens his body up and then he ends up playing a pass almost at like 45 degrees to where, he's, where his body is facing. He'll sort of whip, whip across his body and play it, whether that's just forward up the pitch into maybe a midfielder or one of our forwards, or if he's sort of facing the touchline and ends up whipping it inside. He, he gave the ball away like that a number of times against Everton. Like I said, sometimes the execution is off, but... He does have a really good eye for spotting those passes and, and being able to play them in a way that isn't obvious, which then obviously can take a number of players out of the game. Yeah, I think we our, one one game in particular, I remember um, it was the game against uh, Leicester City where we won 1-0 and for the goal, it was a punt up from the Leicester goalkeeper and Dallow controlled, yeah, assessed yeah, yeah, his yeah. options and then whipped, whipped that ball into Bruno. I think it was Bruno Fernandes and then we ended up scoring from it. He's, yeah, it was. He's definitely yeah, got that quality. Yeah, it's a great, great one. And then you've also got, obviously, we've spoke about Lissandro Martinez. I think Luke Shaw, when he's in there, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, Tyrone Malassia is definitely, he's he's very calm in possession. I think, like you said, he's, sometimes his first touch is a bit erratic, but um, when he's got the, the ball under possession, he's quite, he's quite press resistant, I think. But I think Luke Shaw's just that bit better. He's a top, I mean, he is, he is a top quality progressive um, left back, I think, when he's, when he plays that inverted role. Like you said, it's a bit strange that, He's not tried out there. Maybe it's because he, Ten Hag's got a bit more trust in him attacking on the left, overlapping. But you look at those three, and then that's the pro- that's the thing about Varane. I don't think you really need that of a third, that of a progressive passer from the back. And the thing that Varane does really well, which I know, which I've I've noticed since um, last season, you might not see him playing those progressive passes into midfield, but you see him whipping the ball about um, from left to right at the back, and he. he He's got a lot of intensity in his play when he passes the ball, and that will open up spaces for the other players because we're passing that bit quicker. And that I, I think I think with with Varane in particular, I I actually don't really have a huge problem with players who just clearly 
are not suited or don't aren't able to spot those sort of progressive passes through the line, especially from the back. I, I think the biggest thing is just don't attempt it. And that, to be fair to Varane, I don't think he is a player that does that. It's very rare that Varane gives possession away in bad areas because I think he just understands that that isn't his game. And like you said, it, he, he he plays at a speed which is high enough that even though he's not playing progressive passes, he doesn't really hinder our build-up very much because he, he's... I mentioned this with Casemiro in the last episode that... He's just quite self-aware about his limitations on the ball and he just he just pops it off to players that are better suited to do that. Often it's to Martinez. And I said, he does it quickly enough that he doesn't really limit our, our opportunities to build up from the back because he's still shifting the ball at a speed that still means that there's space for us to play into and it doesn't give a, the opposition team too much time to kind of get into get set defensively. And I think that's really all you can ask for. Like you said, you don't need all four of your players at the back to be really good progressors with the ball. I guess, I guess looking ahead, what do you hope to see from United as sort of the last thing? What do you hope to see from United before the World Cup? We've got about a month to six weeks before the well, about a month before the World Cup starts. What do you hope to see from United in that month? Where do you hope to see us go from here? Given that we are starting to see some baby steps. Yeah, I think just a, a continued that that just continued uh, progression of what we're already almost seeing. I think. Um, Almost Ten Hag's comments after tonight. I'm looking. Sh- I'm hoping that Luke Shaw continues this good form because then I do think we'll see a bit more of a a um, consistent, almost front front five or six where you do have that left back on almost on the left wing as a part of a front five or six where the left wing is coming inside. Probably Marcus Rashford. You've got the, the striker, maybe Ronaldo or um, Anthony Martial if he's fit. Obviously, maybe Satin. Yeah, I agree. I still, I still view Shaw as as the long term player in that position. I'm looking forward to seeing Anthony and Dallo to kind of almost build a relationship on that right hand side. There seems like they're slow. They're slowly um getting used to how each other play. I mean, <laughs> Christian Eriksen and Lissandro Martinez. Looking forward to seeing them almost build around that build up play that we're looking to play. Those triangles. They're almost pivotal to those those triangles on um when we're trying to play out of a press. And yeah, it's just interesting to see what kind of players thrive over the next month because a lot of players will get game time. It's just going to be interesting to see different players come in. We'll probably have that. I mean, it's it's almost a joke now that Ten Hag doesn't rotate his team. I think um, Ajax supporters supporters kind of let, let us know about that before he came and it seems like it's quite true. So it will be interesting to see how much rotation happens, but there's definitely a lot of players which are looking confident at the moment. And we've got some difficult games, don't get me wrong, but as as hopefully we can just keep just show an improvement in the style of play, and then well, I mean the results will the results are going to end up being the most important thing. But I think it is quite um, funny because I think a lot of the fan base are obviously results, yes. But a lot of the fan base are looking forward to seeing the football that we're playing and seeing the improvement in that. Yeah, I think we were just so we were down so bad at the end of last season that I think a lot a lot of the fan base was hopeful of top four. But I think there was an acceptance that it is possible that we could miss out on top four, but still move in the right direction this season. I think the way it's kind of playing out top four because of the way other teams are playing top four is looking a bit more possible than we otherwise thought. I think there was there was definitely a scenario where 
uh, where sort of Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea and Spurs kind of ran away with top four and left Arsenal and United behind. Obviously, that hasn't happened. Arsenal are playing very well. Spurs and Chelsea have been okay. I'm still not hugely convinced by them. I think they'll drop quite a lot of points as the season goes on. I'm also, I, I still don't really know what to make of Arsenal. I think, you know, obviously Liverpool have been in bad form. So there is definitely an opening there. I think in terms of results, the big thing for United, we mentioned this on the last episode. I think all you can ask for up until the World Cup is that we don't play ourselves out of contention. I think that is the biggest thing. And then obviously results will start to matter more and more as we get post the World Cup and into the last stages of the season. But until the World Cup starts next four or five weeks, I think for United, it's all about building on the good performances that we've had, trying to lay the foundations of this system that we're still trying to kind of nail down and figure out. And then like you said, getting some of those combinations that I think will be key the more the longer the season goes on. Rotation will have to become a part of the conversation, especially after the World Cup when players are going to start to be really fatigued and we're going to start to see you know, more and more injuries and we're going to really be testing the, the limits of our squad. So that, that will become a more important part of this. I don't think Ten Hag will be able to get away with the lack of rotation that he's been able to do so far. I think in terms of what I really want to see on the pitch is just continuing to build on these principles that we're starting to see on the ball. But I think, I think more than that is off the ball. I think that's been my biggest surprise. I think United have improved defensively this season. I, I think we're still really bad in defensive transitions, like we mentioned last week. And the big one is just we haven't really seen that high press that we all expected Ten Hag would introduce. Now, I've always, I always say and I always maintain you don't have to be a high press inside to win. You don't have to high, press really high up the pitch to be a, a good dominant team. But I think eventually that is the way that Ten Hag will want to see this United team play. And I'll be interested to see if we start to get anywhere towards that. I've noticed with Anthony in particular, he, he has a, a very, very good knack for pressing well. And I've noticed already there was a few times in the Everton game a few times before that in other games as well, where you can see him getting frustrated that his teammates aren't kind of on the same wavelength when it comes to pressing from the front. And you can see that he knows what he's doing because he's obviously been in Ten Hag's system for a couple of years, but the others aren't, aren't on that same page yet. So I'll be interested to see how United develop that and just try and play more on the front foot, both in and out of possession. Yeah, 100%. Especially uh, the point about Anthony's spot on because you've no- I've noticed it quite a bit. Um, there was... A couple of times tonight where, um, and a couple of times tonight and in the past few games where you do see him pointing to Dallow to, to come up and press. And that's been a problem a lot for our pressing over the past couple of years where you see wingers almost, the wingers almost get dejected because they press when their fullback doesn't press. And then it's an easy way out for the opposition. And then the wingers stop pressing because uh, they're like, well, we're not on the same wavelength. And then and then it leads to an easy way out. There was one game where the wingers caught a lot of flack. I think it was Sancho and and um, Anthony. It might have been the Europa League game actually last week where the pressing was very poor from the front. And then you noticed straight away after the game, and I think in the coming days, Ten Hag mentioned it. And I think he'd done so earlier in the season as well. I think he, he knows and a lot of other people know that the wingers are so essential to our defensive compactness when we're out of possession and also to that pressing style that he'll slowly want to bring in. And like you said, I think that's another thing which you brought up um, into the coming games and for the rest of the season, potentially not in the coming games just because of the fixtures that we've got coming up against um, Tottenham and Chelsea, but maybe in the other ones, we'll potentially see that line start to come up, that high pressing start to come in because 
like I mentioned earlier, with the low line, it's almost a bit a bit more difficult to do that high pressing system. But I definitely think throughout the season we'll see it slowly slowly come through. And I've, I think someone we actually haven't mentioned tonight, which I think he's been been quite impressive. I've been critical of his of certain parts of his game in the past, but I think David de Gea has been really impressive with his proactiveness in the past two games, especially. And hopefully he can he can continue that. I think it's debatable whether that's going to be that's going to work in the long term. There's um, some goalkeeper targets which United are reportedly looking at for the future. But if he can even, it's just those simple bits where, like tonight, I think the other team aren't pressing too highly, but they're bringing a few players forward, and then he's finding that pass to someone's feet, and that's all it is. And then you can continue to pressurise the opposition and it helped us um, gain territory and keep that pressure on um, the opposition tonight so hopefully he can kind of continue that and then it will be a bit of a um, smoother transition into that kind of football that Ten Hag wants to play Yeah absolutely, we mentioned it last week that I thought the Everton game was the Hayes' best performance of the season and he needs to keep that up just he doesn't, he doesn't need to be amazing. He just needs to not be a massive detractor for this United team at the moment. And that, that will kind of be enough. And, and I think it's, um, I think a lot of people agreed that it was probably his best game of the season. And interestingly, he only made one save right at the end of the game. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's, it, it just shows that in the kind of team that we want to play in, maybe 10 saves again. Well, I don't know how, much, how many saves the... Um, opposition keeper got tonight but that that's not exactly what we need um obviously it's a, it's great that save in the last moments of the Everton game was a brilliant save but it's it's more so that that pass in the the sweeping which I think he he done a couple of times that could be something that helps the back line go a bit more forward knowing that the hay is going to be trying to be a bit more proactive and come outside of his area to kind of stop those attacks when the ball gets played over the top or through behind the defence. We'll have to have you back on Kane at the start of the World Cup and we can go back to all of these things we wanted to see and see how many of them United actually put into practice. Let's hope, let's hope. (laughs) That is about all we have time for today. You also will have heard a little bit from Harry during the course of the episode from him after the game and and at the stadium as well. We know he had a great time in Cyprus and it sounds like a great atmosphere inside Old Trafford tonight, mainly from the Omania Nicosia fans, to be fair. Kane, thank you so much as always for joining us. For anyone who wants to hear more from you throughout the next few weeks as we see how United fare in the lead-up to the World Cup, where can they find you on Twitter? Twitter is uh, Kane Smith, M-U, Kane spelt C-A-I-N, the odd way. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also catch up with everything that Kane writes and everyone else writes over at United District. The great stuff over there, as always. You can find myself on Twitter at UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. You can find the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Patrons will be back as normal with our patron Q&A from our Tuesday morning episode that you'll hear after the Newcastle game. Three very tough games coming up for United against Newcastle, Spurs and Chelsea. Hopefully, we'll come out of it with three wins. Have a great week, everyone. Goodbye. I'm a Sasquatch. I'm a coming, I'm a stump. I've been blasted. From a hedge like a rock. But I'm lying in bed. Holding on to my head. Cause it's falling apart. I just can't stop. I'm a Cyclops. With the RCNI. I'm just getting by. So he's- Sports Social Podcast Network.